Welcome back, gamers. We are talking about Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition, Future Connected. That is a mouthful. We're picking up where we left off. Some notes of catch-up from last time is that we crash-landed on a floating island. The Bionis shoulder, Shulk and Melia met some no-pawns that turned out to be Riki's children. We went on a little adventure. We found out that the ruined capital of Alchemoth is being occupied by a malevolent entity known as the Fog King. We rescued a young boy, a high-entier researcher by the name of Teelin, a returning character from the main game. We took him to his hut where he is hanging out with former antagonist Tyria, pseudo-sister to our main character, Melia, and that also there is a mysterious figure known as Galgar, who's been trotting about the area with seemingly nefarious purposes. It's a quick little recap here. Let's get back into it. So our next goal is we're going to Grandel when we're going to meet Radzim, Thielen's fellow researcher. He is a Machina, and there's a lot of discussion they have once we get there, but um, I could give you two quick bullet points on what all of that discussion entails. One, Telethia naturally feed on Aether. Because they're encircling Alchemoth and feeding on the Rift and the Fog Beast Aether, that's why the Fog people, beast beings, whatever they are, can't escape Alchemoth. They just constantly get eaten by Telethia if they try and leave. Two, to attack the Fog King, you're going to need to make a super dense ether field. Cool. Randell is guarded by a wall of ramparts, fortifications, that's guarded by Hyantias and Homs. They let us through, and past it is this this beautiful farmland where Hyantia, Ham, and Nopad alike live a pastoral life in harmony. Or at least that's what it looks like as we stroll through it for the first time. Machina 2. Yeah, Machina 2. Thanks. That's right. Lots of quests here. Of course, Pond Spectres. We meet the Pond Spectre Chief who's kind of organizing the whole land surveying effort. Lots of locations named after Agni, who I thought was a giant. Yeah, so lots of locations named after Agni that we've also had, I believe, other locations named after them in the Bionis leg. Mm -hmm. So Agni, apparently we made that connection of the kind of local ecosystem. Maybe Agni was in charge of farmlands or grazing plains, those kinds of areas. I don't know. Interesting. I never thought about associating giants with particular geography, but hey, you might be onto something. Well, obviously, um, Dixon was in charge of the demon hellscape castle, or somebody, Dixon adjacent. Maybe that was um, Arglis. He was the one that was all about the, the demon hellscape castles. So when we get to Grandel, it's built out of the ruins of a tower which is overgrown with grass. It is very idyllic. A uh, Hyantia here named Helmeline whom we met earlier at Companions Cape explains the schism between Grandel and, and Companions Cape. The folks in Companions Cape split because they disliked working in harmony with the Machina, whom they blame for the cataclysm that transformed or killed so many of their fellow Hyantias and loved ones. Uh, there's a handful of quests here too, and I'll just make a couple comments about a few of them, not gonna get too deep into it, but uh, Aham named Ines says a growth stimulant for crops has gone mysteriously missing. More on that later. Like I said, we meet one one the chief of the Pond Spectres. There's a Ham child named Angela who asks Kino to help her find friends. We do, and they're all 
other races sort of playing into the racial diversification of this place. A high entity named Selene says she'll be Angela's friend because I was getting bored of playing on my own anyways, which is quite an explanation. A high entity, a child named Nestinor says he'll be her friend because he was thinking of hanging out with her anyways. And then, <laughs> this is my favorite, and then a Nopa named Rudodo will be Angela's friend because he's hungry for a friend to join his dino war. A Nopon saying he's hungry for a friend? That's pretty suspect. There's a Han named Lot who upgrades our ether mining pick and we get upgraded gems going forward for the trouble. There's a Machina with a damaged leg in Grandel and we have a repair kit in the Junk's wreckage which could help. But when we get to Junk's we discover it's missing. Nearby we discover the Thief's honeydew list and it even has his fucking name on it, Solthos. We end up finding Solthos, tracking him down in the Nerthus Necropolis, breaking into a giant's tomb and he wants to use the repair kit for Hyantia warriors from the other village who have been injured in fights with their own Fog Beasts and we have the opportunity to tell him it's for a Machina or we can try to convince him. Uh, I tell him the truth because it's not fucking his. Same. When he says, rather than treat a comrade wounded in battle, you'd waste the kid on one of those cowardly swine. And uh, he gives it to us anyways. And that's how I completed the quest. Quick little note in here of when I was leaving Junks with the party of Shulk, Kino, and Nene. Kino and Nene got stuck inside Junks somehow and proceeded to just make like back to back a wall of sound just grunting and moaning noises as they were trying to leave and it was very uncomfortable oh no nate save it for xenoblade 2 dude yeah i got out of there real fast i didn't want to be associated with that i didn't want to get arrested save and quit save and quit Helmeline also says we can get the parts we need for fixing junks back in Alchemoth, for there are crashed ships, or Havris, right, um, all over, for which we can salvage. Of course, we saw that the first time we were there. But before we set off, the gang watches Alchemoth at a distance, and we can see that rift is expanding. There's a bit of a Sauron eye effect going on here, where uh -huh. it went from being like... This, this energy that was spewing out a guy when we first saw it inside Alchemoth, kind of lingering over that bird body to where now it's just in the skyline over Alchemoth as like this lingering mind. It, it looks more like an entity now than just a, an opening. I like that pole, it does feel like a Sauron eye. The sense we're getting is that this land is, is um, being co progressively corrupted. Anyways, that becomes all the more relevant in the next scene because when we get to the Sultanar Seal Island, which is where the Alchemoth teleporter is, we're stopped by a small herd of ponios who are all guttering black smoke. These are fog beasts uh, and we fight them on this narrow bridge. And, and you know, I gotta tell you, Nate, that gameplay-wise, I really appreciated the geographic constraints of this fight because usually we're in these vast rolling hills, large arenas of even ground, but this one I felt very constrained in and it was kind of unusual for me in a, in a Xenoblade context. This was the aforementioned point in the game where I realized something's wrong with my party. I need to go look into this because I was, I believe, like, two levels over these things and was still dying to them and I, I the whole time on stream you can go back and watch it if you like any of you out there i was just complaining like something's wrong about this dlc i don't get it what am i doing wrong i'm doing all the same stuff i did in the main game yet i'm dying over and over and the answer is gear i didn't have any gear except for the stuff quests gave me so this was the point where i was like ah i need to go figure this out and made those changes 
yeah, with this uh, fight over, we have the the entire thesis of the fog faction uh, future infected. Yeah, that's more relevant than we thought. Now that we're thinking about it, huh. being contained to just Alkamoth is no longer true. There, something has changed with the giant rift eye now big enough to be seen from externally from Alchemoth. Something's changed, and now we have fog beasts on the shoulder, a peninsula, island, floating island proper. And uh, the immediately sinks into the party. Um, there are a lot of beasts that, uh, like grazing beasts and passive beasts that hang out at Grandel, and those are now all susceptible to infection as well. So um, that's kind of our next stop is securing Grandel. I got to stop you there, Nate. One thing that happens while we're in Alchemoth is when we loot the last ship, a huge Telethia sneaks up on us. Not one of those Mantis types, one of those big Chimera types. A Dino Beast, says Kino. But it doesn't attack us. It watches us for a moment and then it turns and flies away. You're right. I forgot about that. Mm. All good. So yeah, Grandel's wildlife is susceptible to fog beast infection we have to save the people there from the armu the grazing kind of i don't know like rhino type beast of burden type animal yeah yeah and so we do save them and that kind of frees us up for our next main objective which is still to meet at the lab as radsom had instructed us to get Teelan's notes. So we do circle back to Teelan's lab, and when we get there, Teelan and Tyree are charging out of the lab full bore towards us, fleeing something. It's Galgar, sword drawn, shit eating grin spread proudly across his face, and he's joined by two automaton creatures, two constructs, golems. Yes, yeah, similar to the ones you would find in the High Antia tomb. Mm. which was part of the trial of Melia's ascension. He's celebrating the widening rift in the sky, and he says Teelan's research is, quote, blasphemy against commingled blood. This dude is hardcore <laughs> racist against non-Ientiaham hybrids. Incredible. It's the opposite of the typical direction racism usually goes. It's like, uh, it's like saying, oh, you're 100% white? Get out of here. Mm-hmm. You have to be of mixed heritage. Yeah, you do. There's no good reason to let Telethias return to their Hyentia form, he says. It's just reactionary nonsense. <laughs> it does kind of ring true because, like, after every crisis, uh -huh. you need someone to blame. Like, it's their fault this happened. But it's like, we already discussed this. It's Zanza's fault all of this happened. So it, it kind of makes me wonder, is Zanza intel not... Has that not been disseminated to the public at large? Probably not. So all of these crises and events like, you know, Telethia losing their shit and attacking every civilization, the majority of people don't know why any of that happened. So, you know, from a certain perspective, you might not be able to blame this guy. He could see Telethia as like this ever looming threat that was always going to, it was always going to go this direction that they were going to snap and turn into these things and try and kill everyone. That's another question. We, we had that question in the mainline uh, game throughout our podcast of the kind of evolution of nobody knows any of the history or intel on the, the high entia to the point where everyone kind of knows that like we had we had that researcher researching old statues not knowing why like the statues had additional wings and 
their form was different than the current Hydantia, to where at the end of the game, everybody's like, oh yeah, everyone always knew we were going to turn into Telethia. And I was like, wait, what? Why did nobody talk about this earlier? Do you think that when Shulk told Alvis he wanted the world remade without gods, that he could have put a little addendum in to Alvis before he remade the world and say, hey, you know what, how about how about we revert Telethia back to their high Antia form and just, you know, kind of smooth that over. Did Shulk just forget and let the atrocity stand? Yep. Spoilers for uh, Avengers Endgame. In that, there's a bunch of people that died in the previous movie and they use magical stones to bring them back to life. And there was another character that died in the course of the movie and somebody's like, hey, were you able to bring back uh, what's-her-face? And the guy using the stones is like, no, I really tried. I couldn't get her. No explanation why or how or whatever. It was just, nope, she can't come. She's going to require an additional wish. I'm I'm used to those kind of throwaway explanations of, no, I, I just couldn't. We had a lot of recreating of the universe to do, and I, I just couldn't sneak those guys in there either. So, Nate, what happens to Gilgar's face when we piss him off? He opens his eyes, and as I predicted, as any good anime watcher should have predicted, <laughs> those those smizing eyes open up to tiny little chocolate chip beads sitting on a sea of whipped cream. <laughs> the he, He's got the evil psycho eyes that I knew would be hiding under those eyelids. Yeah, he's... He goes crazy. So we fight him. This is a boss encounter. Mm-hmm. One automaton is a tank and the other is a fighter. Uh, I killed them all pretty easily. Did you um, get armor and stuff by now? I mostly got everything I needed. <laughs> See, I'm going to eliminate more dumb moments on Nate, right? So I went back to the, what was the, the initial town on the companions Cape companions Cape. I bought everything there. And equipped it, and I was like, oh, great, this is all upgrades. Then I went to Grandel and looked at the shop there. I was like, oh, this stuff is all better than everything I just bought. And I started buying that, and then I ran out of money. <laughs> I was like, if I hadn't spent all my money on the dumb shit from Companions Cape, then I could afford this stuff. So uh, the, the rest of the time was me scrounging together money to buy all of that because here's one thing i don't understand why is why do they shovel endless amounts of random items in the field on you if there is no affinity system or crafting system or anything like that um you just kind of have a lot of junk in your banks i know there's the collectopedia but as i've previously said on the podcast the collectopedia sucks and i don't like it so if you're going to have me collect all these things, at least give me like a, a log book that tells me where to go, where to search instead of just, oh, you don't know where this one random item is. Why don't you search the entire map top to bottom for it? No, I'm not going to do that. So all of that stuff that you that junk that you would normally offload onto vendors and get like a million and a half gold, you used to like be able to sell all that stuff and have like millions and in this dlc it sells for like jack shit so i wasn't able to do that to get all the gear but all that to say i still beat galgar just fine now that i've been adequately equipping items outstanding name when the fight is over galgar is defeated he says i know i am not wrong i'm not i will uh, and then melia does the noble thing and says i will spare you just be gone from my sight kaboom yes 
Kaboom! He smiles grimly and the lab explodes in an orange fireball. I will spare you. Just be gone from my sight. No! The lab! Melia casts her aqua buff on herself and charges into the inferno with Shulk following her. There's another blast and Tyria and Talon think they're both dead. Oh, they, they're charging in to recover the research notes. Yeah. And Tyria utters to herself remorsefully, the crown is mine now. She's not thrilled about this. It's remorseful. Then, Gilgar captures Teelan and holds a sword to his throat. A Telethia shows up and shoos Gilgar away. It's Teelan's mother! We can assume that it's the same Telethia that we had that brief interaction with in Alchemoth when we were looting Havris for Junk's parts. I knew that was going to come back to us somehow in, the, in that moment. Melia is inexplicably injured and is in Shulk's arms as they emerge from the wrecked lab and Melia says sorrowfully, I couldn't save the future and passes out. I'm sorry, I couldn't save. <gasps> the future. We are back in Grandel. Melia is recovering. Kino shoots up into the air some ether, some healing ether. Yeah, he does that trick that Charlotte did to Melia when the gang first met her in the Machna Forest. In this moment, we're feeling a little hopeless, but Teelan points out that Melia did recover a book from the fire, and with it we hatch a plan. If we can put up an ether field denser than the Telethias, the Fog King will become vulnerable. And we can do this with high ether crystals. We speak with a bunch of locals and find out that these particular crystals are in the Zekir Marga Quarry like across the zone in, in a neck of the woods we haven't been to. Meanwhile, we know that the fog beasts are growing in frequency in, in their transformations. The numbers are amassing. Yeah, it's getting worse. Yeah, and they're moving to attack Grandel. So there's this dichotomy of like, we can go on this mission to inquire the stuff to save Alchemoth, or not save Alchemoth, to attack the Fog King in Alchemoth, but we would be leaving Grandel defenseless. And that kind of prompts them. It's like, well, we have this whole regiment of troops who originally were from Grandel, but they kind of fucked off. They got butt hurt and left. What if they were all here? We wouldn't be as vulnerable. So it's, it's up to us to go convince them to rejoin the effort. Right. Bear in mind that Grandel is closer to Alchemoth than the Companion's Cape is. And so Grandel is... is the Minas Tirith of the of the invasion, let's say. You know, they're they're going down first. And if they go down, you're probably gonna gonna have a Companion's Cape's probably going down as well without them. Yeah. Companion's Cape does have the high ground though. They're looking down on Grandel from where they are. More ways than one, yes they are. Right, so we head to the Zekir Marga Quarry. In a quiet moment between Shulk and Nene, Nene wants to give vicious spankings to people who quabble about their dreams. Also, there's a spider elite in here called Deputy Seagal. Yeah, I said this on my stream. I was like, is that a reference to Steven Seagal, who moonlit as an actual police deputy in real life? I hope so. I want to take you to the bank, Senator Trent. To the blood bank. It's one of those cases of, I, I'm almost certain that wasn't his name in the Japanese uh, edition and one of the localizers is like I have free reign on names here I'm just gonna go with whatever tickles my fancy and here we are with a spider called Deputy Seagal $350,000 already I fuck anything once 
Who's deputizing spiders around here? Jeezy, crazy. There's another Arachno Queen down here too. Yeah, yeah. I'm a little disappointed that in the DLC, we're still using the same elite music as the main game, but the regular ass, I guess I shouldn't say regular ass, but the fog beasts get awesome new music. Mm -hmm. I wanted some new elite music. We score the green stalactite of ether crystals. And we bring it back to Grandel and modify the Monado with it. But the Fog Beast had broken through the ramparts protecting the farmland. It's one of those Triceratops monsters, like the big, big guys. I forget what they're called. Anyways, we stop them. But since Grandel is so close to Alchemoth, we suspect more are coming soon. So the gang goes to Companion's Cape to seek help. Hopefully, Tyria can keep the Grandel militia together and can defend well enough from the Fog Beast invasion while we're gone. Then Maxis learns that Melia is the princess empress, right? And that's kind of what changes his tune. Oh, and the militia start to turn on Maxis. I feel like, I think they're having a change of heart. And so they decide to come. I'd have to look it up. I'm still questing as we're, as, as the tension is ramping up. Of course, invariably, you know, we do that as gamers, you know, story tensions wrapping up. I've got to go pick some turnips anyways, right? Uh, but, <laughs> but in the quest that I'm doing, they tease these new gameplay loops that don't actually happen. For example, there's a quest to take pictures of monsters and we don't take a picture of monsters. We do regular fight monster stuff. And there's a quest to do fishing and we don't actually do any fishing either. I find that very, a little disappointing. If this was Xenogears, you absolutely would have been taking pictures of monsters and there would be a fishing mini game. Yeah, yeah. And then half of the rest of the DLC would be cut because they spent so much time on those two mechanics. <laughs> Half of the DLC would be cut. <laughs> we issued a new expansion, but we only have finished it, and good luck ever getting us to finish it. Brilliant. That was not in my notes whatsoever. It's just... <laughs> I don't know. I like it. I, I, I still can't get over it, you know? It's, it's always going to be there. Tyria stands at the wall, epically defending against waves of fog beasts as we're still off trying to negotiate. Can I play as her, please? Uh, she's got that rogue dual wielding dagger energy I love, but she she's holding her own, but eventually she's overwhelmed because there is a fog dinosauros attacking the wall. And we eventually show up to join in that fight and take it down. Is there anything interesting about the fight in your mind? This fight kicked my teeth and I died like five or six times to it before I figured it out. I didn't. Really? Oh, wow. Okay. Well, good on you. Yeah, so it might be my party composition being the, the holy trinity of tank, healer, DPS. I don't remember my team composition. Once I got my gear updated, I was pretty smooth sailing the rest of the time. Nice. Except for the last boss. Anyway, so everyone is here. Uh, we take down the dinosaurs. The army shows up. The army of dudes from Companions Cape. Do they have an organization name or are they just high end? Not anything beyond the Companions Cape that I know of. Yeah, they're not the Maxis Squadron or anything like that. Sure, let's call it that. Sure, the Maxis Squadron shows up as well to... Uh, help defend and once kind of everything settles down pretty much all parties concerned are down to follow melia she is the, the center of the narrative here and like like i'm realizing and talking about you how you 
changed your perspective on this. I immediately went to playing as Shulk, but with the new information and new perspective you presented me, a lot of these events make more sense in that Melia was the main character of the DLC, and I was just too grounded in my original Xenoblade ways to realize it. So it makes sense that she is kind of the central element that's all of these peoples and forces are coalescing around because um, it's definitely not Shulk convincing anyone he doesn't have the charisma to make this happen. So everyone's rallying and it seems like we're on the up and up at this point. Radza modifies the Monado with the super crystals. It's even more steampunky than it was before. Yeah, this is, it's got that hot rod red color as it always has, but now it's got the pipes spurting flames out. I, I want to hear an engine going like, or like a chainsaw starting up when this thing goes. I'm but it doesn't. But now it's got a swirling blue electric core and not just like a what looked like a random machine part jammed in the hole. It's got the traditional Monado hole in there. This is Shulk's contribution to Future Connected. Up until this moment, it wasn't very relevant to the plot. It could have just as easily been Ricky or Dunbin or Ryan or Sharla up until this point. But Shulk's got the God Sword and we use, we, we apply the super crystals to it and it's with that that we create the ether crystal black hole that's gonna that's gonna render the Fog King vulnerable. We just have to go to him now. I'm, I'm gonna say it, instead of the God Nado, we now have the Hot Rod Nado. <laughs> it is pretty badass. I think all of the narrative threads have kind of coalesced at this point where Alchemoth is all that's left, right? One thing I'll say quickly is that during this big attack, Melia was like giving out orders and showing like leadership qualities of you go over there, do this, you defend this area, you know? So she, she is showing leaderly qualities and not just like, well, I'm the Empress, so everyone follow me, please. She is taking charge. So that's good development on her part. Mm. than what we're used to from her um, throughout the main game. But the only thing is like, to me, it sounds like I learned this over the course of playing this by talking with people in the chat. The voice actor for Melia is Jenna Coleman of Doctor Who fame, among various other British movies and projects. And it seems like in that 10 year gap, Maybe she's lost a little bit of interest in this series because she seems very much more disinterested sounding than she did in the original. And I commented in the original game of her sounding disinterested in thing. You sure that wasn't just the dull Ientia standard issue behavior? Yes, except that like when you're barking out orders to ensure people's survival, you might have a little bit of snap and oomph to it, and she delivers them like they're just lines on a page. Like, she doesn't know where these lines are in the game, what's happening, what's going on. It's just a, a human being uh, stepped into their recording booth, and they have a piece of paper in front of them, and it says, Neelan, take cover. Radzim, <laughs> get to the tower. We're going to head here. You know, like, that's, that's how it's delivered. So either that's, like, the fault of the um, vocal director, and maybe the dialogue writer, or in her fame, she got hoodwinked into coming back to this dumb video game and she couldn't care less, but there's a there's a big paycheck in there for her. Hmm. I don't know, Just that's just me being a little bit, you know, I've got the cynical energy of the podcast. 
And I've got the detached energy. So we're winding up to the final confrontation with the Fog King here, but there are quests and other private conversations that are worth mentioning here, and I'm gonna go through them. Nate, feel free to hop in and interject as you please, but I'm gonna just uh, come in hot. Sure. I think the most important one is going to be between Melia and Tyria at this secret area called Eternal Zenith, which is at the very top of the Grandel Tower. The two reflect on their strange history together. Tyria asserts that it is Melia who should continue the line and that Tyria would just be a hindrance, but Melia calls out Tyria's determination to blame herself and encourages her to look to the future. And basically, like, is this piddly shit what Yumea would have wanted? And the answer is no. The two nearly come to blows when Nene interjects. Tyria says her devotion to the Bionite Order is how she honored the Imperial line. But after some more discussion, the two agree that Melia is ideal for the Emperor's position, but perhaps Tyria could assist the new line by putting her will to action. So perhaps that means Prime Minister, Secretary of Defense, General, some sort of position like that. I mean, we know Tyria is this, the Aubrey Plaza of this, of this game here. You should up your therapy to seven times a week, stop dressing that way and give me your wallet. I got the gist of the scene, but it almost seemed like the way they delivered it was like, in order for Tyria to be true to herself and not feel like she's compromising, it's like, okay, I will help you, Melia. I will follow you. I'm kneeling down. I'm essentially being knighted in some respect, but I have to keep my signature sass and I have to bitch at you. Otherwise, I'm not going to be me. So expect me to be a pain in your ass while you rule, but like in a good way. So she's like saying, I'm going to honor my mom by kind of being that uh, snarky boil for you. Uh, as your rule. The private moment that made me laugh out loud was this one between the two Nopon playable characters. They're looking for Kino's favorite food, sweet wasabi, but there's none to find. So the two imagine that they're enjoying eating it in a pretend feast together, and it's actually quite cute and funny and quite frankly worth my time. And then in another funny private moment between the two, Kino says he dreamed Nene got eaten by a brog, like a, a, one of the frog monsters, and got himself devoured too as a means to save her. When you get all the pond specters together, Chief 1-1 declares that they must search for Fungus Aureus, the golden shroom, which is somewhere in the Nerthus Necropolis. Nate, did you complete the pond specters? Line. I didn't because that would have entailed me grinding an additional five levels. Mm. My characters could not hit the target in question, like the everything missed. So I was like, eh, I'm just, I'm okay. Maybe Tyler will have done it and he'll tell me exactly what the result was. Well, I went to easy mode to get this, but <laughs> because I, I wanted to be done, frankly, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. So we go to the Nerthus necropolis we find the chest that the golden shroom is supposed to be in but it's guarded by a dragon called prosecutor davram and it is future connected's super boss I, I cheated for content because i've literally been playing xenoblade chronicles definitive edition for a year straight and i need to move on with my life i'm sorry everybody but i do you're canceled <laughs> We open the chest and there are mushrooms in there, but they're all gray, dried out, and lifeless. One one admits that this quest for golden shrooms was arranged because the pond specters are secretly deep in debt. Some pond specters do a little more digging and discover there are treasures underneath the golden shrooms. The future of the archaeology center looks bright because of not the golden shrooms with the things below the golden shrooms in the chest sarcophagus thing. We earn a Nerthus crown, which is an equipable helm for Melia. And although the pawn's quest is over, they agree to continue to assist us with our 
Fog King quest. So that's very noble of them, but probably because, you know, we have this Pawn Spectre power attack and that's just a game feature. Speaking of the Pawn Spectre attack, is that a movable Gonzalez that they summon to help them? It's a Gogol of some kind. It's a big one though. I'm curious. Nate, did you do the strange letter quest? strange letter quest. Maybe um, you will jog my memory here. Did you fight Gilgar a second time? Yes, yes, I did. A Hyantia child hands Melia a suspicious letter which encourages her to meet its writer at Companion's Cape. We go, but it's an ambush by Gilgar. He wants a rematch, saying that Melia is not fit to rule in this new age. He will overthrow the pure blood and the accursed past alongside it. He is the only one suited to rule. Is a boss battle. His technical boss name is Resentful, Elgar. We defeat him again. Malia lectures him again, saying he is so possessed by the matter of bloodlines that he has oversimplified things such that mixed blood equals good and pure blood equals bad. This behavior precisely matches the discrimination Malia faced from her own kind during the events of Xenoblade Chronicles, which I found pretty interesting, that sort of harmony between the two conflicts. It's the swinging pendulum of politics in that never just evens out in the center where people find common ground and understanding. You have to go from one extreme to swinging to the opposite extreme. With Melia managing the balance. Mm-hmm. She spares him again, but instead of living under her reign, he elects to free fall from the Bionis shoulder and presumably dies. Now this begs the question, can half Hyantia fly with their head wings? Or is that just Tyria? I don't know, good question. I suppose he did die, he would have to have only vestigial wings. Tyria can straight up fly. Maybe half India can glide. Glide right to the water, water's edge, or bounce off a rock. That would be a, what I would consider one of the dangling plot threads from this. Do you remember that quest about the crop stimulant? The Nopon Pororo tasks us with delivering some of her monster juice for an unknown third party who will create a drink to sell to people, and the third party is insisting on its privacy. This concoction is getting people hopelessly addicted to it and Pororo is having a crisis of conscience. Only profit matters to this, quote, esteemed person. We ask who this person is and it is Lord Bana, the notorious N.O.P., that kingpin who managed a pollen orb smuggling operation back in Machna Forest. We confront Bana, who claims it is the future emperor of Bionis's shoulder. That growth stimulant, plus other items we've been fetching for Pororo, has helped Bana create a beverage called Bana- Excuse me, <laughs> Banana. Why not? Banana. But it's it's Bana XXX, which, and this is his master stroke, by the way, will make rubes of the people of Bayana's shoulder and Bana will make mountains of dough and everything will turn to gravy. Bana is hilarious. This is a this is a Nopon supervillain. He's hilariously mean, including chastising Melia for interrupting when he's monologuing. But in that monologuing, he's also he also reveals he dreams of no longer being like a beast of burden in life. Regardless, he promises to kill us, to show us merciless violence. He calls a pterodactyl and he hops in the basket hanging from the pterodactyl's neck and we have another boss battle. This is Diabolical Bana. Oh God. Did you have this fight too? Yeah, I did. I was a little bit lost and maybe it's because I don't or I didn't remember who this guy was. Or maybe his quest is locked behind like 50 deep conversations of affinity within Machna Forest and I just missed it. I don't remember. I don't remember Bana. But yeah, I did the fight and I kicked him out of his basket. We pressure him to develop a serum that cures the Bana XXX's toxicities. He admits he was wrong, but he secretly laughs privately and delights that these 
Rubes are so trusting of Bana, certainly some other mayhem will be afoot after the events of Future Connected. Yeah, and it's interesting that um, Tetsuya Takahashi's commentary on the evils of capitalism has... It, it started with, like, an insane sky nation that was feeding people to themselves in this commentary about the futility of working hard within the capitalist machine mm. to now it's just uh, a Totoro selling Diet Coke. <laughs> Onward to the Imperial Villa. That's that's a subsection of the Alchemoth zone. We run into our point of no return at the Villa Teleporter. We get another prompt saying turn back if you're if you're not ready but i am ready i'm not i go anyway though going anyway good i did not realize how unready i was until i encountered him we're at the villa the fog king looks stronger than when we first met him perhaps directly related to the size of the rift that he's came from or powered by i guess i don't know the direct relationship between the two we fight the fog king which is like a smoking, formless, lumbering brood with a shapeless head that glows orange. His hands glow orange too. In phase one, he, spawn he spawns two fog knights, which are floating orange, smoking eyeballs. Complete phase one, you get a cutscene in which it looks like it's drawing strength from that rift. Melia is suddenly a ninja. She's doing like backflips, jump jumping 30 feet into the air, doing that like knockback ninja slide where you you're knocked back, but you suddenly like plant your feet in hand and you slide backwards in a hero pose, you know? Mm -hmm. Where did all of this come from is what I wonder, because she doesn't do any of that when you're playing the game. She is not an acrobat by any means. She has determination, mate. N mate. She has, yeah, why not? She has determination, mate. Yeah, and here's the other thing. If you can jump 30 feet in the air, Melia, then why the hell couldn't you get in that hole in the uh, Bionis lung and just get up there and end this shit 100 hours early? Mm. Wait, we didn't know Melia then. Whoops. Anyway, we didn't know she could jump 30 feet in the air, but she does. The Fog King grows larger, and the Villa a Battle Arena fills with a dense black fog, and the area feels like it's shaking, like it's more unstable. We decide it is important to close the rift, but Shulk inexplicably says, let's see what more we can do here first. Shulk ignores practical RPG boss fight strategy and chooses to take the fight where the boss wants us to and neglect the boss's seemingly never-ending power source. He's got an ability called Mist Press. It's an AoE topple ability followed by Collision Burst, which is an AoE burst. This one-shots my party and I have to start over. Same. <laughs> Uh, going forward, when I see Mist Press, I run. And I run as well when I see Collision Burst channeling as well. It takes me three attempts to take this guy down. And on the one time I defeated him, I did a lot of running away. I did a lot of running away. Same. I wonder if there's anything poetic about that. P.S. I find it so strange that to see so many no-pons wailing on our final boss altogether. It is stranger still to hear 15 good guys hollering battle shouts constantly, as if they weren't chatty enough in my three-person party in the main game. Future Connected ups the ante by adding five times that number of voices in battle. <laughs> I love it. There was a certain, like, sense of this is so insane that it's come full circle to where I like it now. I am not there, but I'm <laughs> I'm glad you're coming for full circle. There was a certain level of like, um, what's the word? Lethargy that had settled in on me, like doing, like revisiting this game that I thought I had finished. And now there's like a, a 
bite-sized version of it that I need to retackle all over again. Mm-hmm. And I was I needed something to be new. I needed something to be different, and this was it. The 15 the 12 no pawn just losing their shit all the time. That was what I needed to get through this. After the fight, we can see Telethias are bombing the rift, which Shulk says is destabilizing it. Melia calls to them to grant her their strength. She endures an orange laser blast like the one that took down Junks, and her eyes glow white. The inferno comes to a climax, then ends with Melia holding her staff tight under a beautiful and peaceful blue sky. She looks up, and we can see Telethia pathing around the sky peacefully. Shulk helps her up, and we return to Grandel to a hero's welcome. Everyone is joyous. Hyria watches from afar, distant, of course, but smiling. Next, we cut to Coronation Day. Alchemoth is completely refurbished to its former glory, but it doesn't look all that different, and the gang's all here. There's the Nopan Elder, Mikol, Dunbin, Atheron, Butthead Girl, Hegel's sister, Venea, Sharla, Yora in her quaint human form, Ryan, Juju, and Ricky are all here too. In the hall that terminates at Alchemoth's Juliet window, Tyria says, they're waiting for you. Tyria is a researcher now, which is kind of a soft nod to Lerithia's old position. Perhaps she's running the team that's expanding on Tilan's research. The two walk towards the balcony together, and the scene ends. Xenoblade Chronicles, future connected. And that's it. New game elements, we get another prompt that shows up right afterwards. It says, Shulk's weapon can be changed in future connected now. There's a new time attack challenge, which I am ignoring. And there are now, we have now unlocked master level arts manuals to the original game, which boosts arts as far as level 12. And, you know, I'm kind of wondering, aside from the necessity of just mentioning a few of the like tertiary characters and the, and the, the names of necessity of the situation and everything, I think we had a handful of instances of Melia passing the Bechdel test here. Hmm. The chat with Tyria, that was Nene up there talking to them. And they were talking about her mom. I'm not going to rewatch that, but I feel like we have Melia growing and becoming her own person and passing back till tests. So I'm going to take back my gripes from the main series. Takahashi was right that they didn't do her justice. And I feel like they did. I feel like we got there. Yeah, I think so too. This is Melia's story. We're wrapping up Melia's arc. She's united to... I'll just call them tribes of Hyentias. He's reclaimed Alchemoth. We don't know what the Fog King was really all about or how it connects to the greater Xenoblade story, although we've heard hints from our uh, from Twitch viewers and our Discord community that it is connected to the greater lore in some way, which isn't very obvious to us because that's not the scope of conversation that we're having. Um, but that was a lingering question that I had too. I guess that'd be worth uh, looking up later, huh? I'm still mulling over plans of what and when do I play additional games in this series. I know after your year here, you're done. But there is a part of me where it's like, okay, you know, I did have a good time. Definitely if I do play more, I might just stream it. I don't know what we're going to analyze it to this degree because we want to be well-rounded we don't want to be just a one-trick pony so there's there's that i might not look it up i might just play more xenoblade in my future cool well tell us all about it definitely is there anything else we have to say we kind of gave our review of the game at Mm. the end of the the other episode so is there anything that this dlc kind of changed for you or is it just kind of more the same 
a neat little bow on the same package. It was a neat little bow in the same package. I, I appreciated Takahashi and Model the Soft had to say about Melly in addition to wrapping up Shulk's story and the whole godly thing. I thought it was interesting that Elvis plays no role in this, that we're all kind of up to our own destinies now, but there wasn't anything Minato-y, Vision-y, Elvis-y that was going on here, and to a certain extent that was quite a breath of fresh air. But at the same time, it still felt pretty divorced from the main storyline. But it's gonna be like that, I get that. Um, you know, as a follow-up chapter, you know, a handful of years after the original game came out on the original platform. I think that's a positive in, in this respect. Sure. Yeah, you're right by, by not having any of those visions, fates, any of that stuff kind of tied into the game. There's a lot of, some lot more room for just like, hmm, what's gonna happen next? Instead of like a couple chapters in they deliver a cutscene of here is what's going to happen at the end of your next five chapters so look forward to that you know loose hanging threads are definitely like you said the fog beast but also are they ever going to figure out how to turn telethia back into hyantia we don't really get an answer if that is a thread they're ever going to pull on research continues yeah yeah so I'd be curious. I don't know if that's something that comes up in later games. If we see some bird people that can transform into like a beast and then transform back because they're like, yeah, I have total control over it now. That'd be pretty cool. And kind of werewolf out into a dino beast. Mm, yeah, that'd be very video gamey. Thanks for listening, everybody. This has been a production of Hero with a Thousand Potions, recorded on January 9th and 10th, 2023. Uh, we have an email gunbladeguys at gmail.com and we're also on discord which you can access via our podcast's description paragraph this is the end of our coverage of xenoblade chronicles definitive edition as you probably heard in the previous episode we are going to do final fantasy 7 remake and final fantasy 7 kind of like a compare and contrast between the two for season two we've also got other sort of things that we're doing as well nate is very active on twitch as well twitch.tv slash gunbladeguys and we have a youtube channel as well where there's content coming up there uh, progressively as well just look for gunblade guys yeah and my goal is for tyler to be as much of a part of that as he can so if you like him better than me have a little bit of patience we're going to try and figure out how we can make that happen on the same channels so i want his content on the youtube channel and I want him to have access to the same Twitch channel as well that so we can just always be online, always in your face. You never get a break. That sounds nice. Uh, my situation is slowly getting to a place where I feel like I can do more more streaming. I it's been challenging lately given um, a full time job and you know being a being the dad I want to be to a seven month old and yeah and being a good husband as well. And the holidays, just in general. Mm. You've got everybody everybody meeting, everybody wanting to go here, go there, have your seventh dinner of the night. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. And I have an announcement. I'm going to be doing my own season two on the side. I'm going to be analyzing the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in time arcade game versus the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in time Super Nintendo game. All of the differences and changes made. Um, it's going to be, let's see, there are nine levels so probably a nine month process dude you should throw in hyperstone heist as well because there's a like a sega version of all that that uses similar assets but has different bosses yeah it's like a bastardized yeah. like asset dump to try and maximize profits some of the bosses have skill sets from the nes versions of those bosses too 
All right. Yeah. Yeah. Baxter Stockman is in his little, uh, um, what do you want to call it? Motorized bubble. And like the, I forget which one's the Rhino, but, ba- but, uh, Bebop or Rocksteady, the submachine gun and like will ram you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's valid. It's a, it's its own entry. It's not just an asset dump. I, I, I take it back. Oh, Nate. Yeah. By the way, that was a joke. I'm not doing that. Okay. Hey guys, thank you for joining us for the Xenoblade Chronicles run of episodes. My god, it's been 28, I think. Thank you for joining us. Um, We really appreciate it. Like us, five-star us, wherever you're listening to us. We really appreciate it. And stay tuned for season two, because we've got a lot of other great uh, nerdtastic video game, RPG, storytelling, and gameplay content coming your way. My name's Tyler. And I am Nate. We will see you next season. Am I missing the twelfth one? Was it one one? One one. Or that's Oh, that's the first one. That's the first one. Where's the twelfth one? I never even thought of the number thing. Where's the twelfth pond specter? P O N S P C T R. Where are you, Evelyn? Oh. No, that was all of them. Yeah, that was all of them. Okay. Okay. Moving along. Moving on. Has the Pokemon ever mauled a human? That's one of those things like this is another tangent. <laughs> no, not, not bad question. No, nah. My my kid, um, he watches uh, a show called Fire Buds, where each human has a car that they grow up with and ages with them, and like is their their buddy essentially to the point where there are adult cars running around with adult humans and everything. And there's it just raises so many questions of like how does this society even function, and then. I we were watching that and then I flipped over to Pokemon like master journeys or whatever. And I realized I had the same amount of questions of like, how the hell does Pokemon society even function when you've got monsters just running around battling each other, going apeshit in the wild and humans are occupying that same space, but no one ever gets injured or hurt by them in any like feasible capacity. It's just, it raises so many questions and I'm like, I have the same amount of questions about Pokemon as I do the show made for two-year-olds. At Whisperwind Crossing, which gives us access to the portal on Sultanar Seal Island, which can take us to Alchemoth, there is a quiet moment between Shulk and Melia where the two marvel at Alchemoth in the distance. It makes Melia tense up. She's really anxious about her fate and her purpose. She says she feels the sadness that has seeped into this land. At the final bit of the quiet moment, Melia uses the word judgment and misspells it in the in the caption as judgment with two E's, J-U-D-G-E-M-E-N-T. And I am really, really judgy about the word judgment. Nate, I'm going to tell you a story about Final Fantasy XI. Let me tell you how I got judgy about the word judgment. So judgment. J-U-D-G-M-E-N-T. There's only one E in judgment, Nate. Yes. Okay. In Final Fantasy XI, I was a summoner. I was a Taru Taru summoner named Lepanto. And summoners could do burning seal notorious monster instances solo by using their summons to tank um the boss that would normally be that would normally be uh, fought by a party of like three now you you gather up these beastman seals because that's like your, your tokens to get into this 
and did the special thing, and because it was just going to be me, I was going to reap all the rewards that would have been split out of with everybody. Now, this particular foe in this burning seal notorious monster thing, an instance, uh, was vulnerable to lightning. My summon is Ramu. And so what you do is you summon Ramu, you have him attack it, and then you use your Astral Flow, which is which um, is like your two-hour ability. That's you have an ultimate ability. I mean, it's a one-hour now in Final Fantasy XI, but in in back then it was a two-hour ability. You had a two-hour cooldown on your ultimate abilities. Anyways, it uh, it stopped the mana drain of summoning enemies or summoning guys as they were up, and then it could unlock the most powerful ability. What is Ramu's most powerful ability in most Final Fantasies? Judgment Bolt. Judgment Bolt. Now, this display, like your the, the way in which you interact with the uh, the menus and stuff in in Final Fantasy XI at the time. I mean, you could use macros, but I wasn't. I didn't figure it out how to do it at the time. You you would type in commands instead of push like hotkeys, or at least I did. Again, I was a total scrub. This was back in two thousand five, two thousand six, before I like was even good at MMOs. Anyways, slash, cast, J-U-D-G-E-M-E-N-T, bolt. And, and it didn't go off. And the monster killed Ramu and would eventually kill me. And I was completely baffled as to why that was. I had lost all my burning seals. I had lost experience because back then you could... You could lose experience when you die, and I certainly did in this instance because nobody else is joining the instance with me. And it was a total flop. And I found out later that it was because they spelled judgment wrong. And I'm still hurt by that to this day, Nate. Nate, I can't hear you. You can't hear me? Uh, da da da. Can't hear you. Something happened. Yeah, something happened. And you're gone. Uh, okay, hold on. Let me, I'm gonna text you. Let's see here. My user volume is good on you. Nate, did something happen to you on your end? No, I'm oh, showing, I can hear you now. I'm showing up as talking. Okay, I can hear you now. Okay, so I've been talking and you've been like cutting me off. So I figured you were like wanting to be done with this. Just more. Yeah, you just gotta have bigger, thicker ether. I'm seeing that there are some snot sniffles you are definitely going to have to yank out of there by watching my OBS levels. What is the currency in this game called? Is it just G? I don't remember. I forget. This moment ends with a picture photograph of the Pond Spectre team filling the screen all smiling, jumping for joy, mugging the camera, you know, no Pond stuff. Hold on. That doesn't make any sense. Never mind. Is it prosecutor or prospector? I have prosecutor written down. Let's look that up. Google's saying prosecutor. Okay. I totally thought with Ponspector that the prospector mm. would be that's like he's the ultimate foil for them. I've now used foil twice in the last five minutes. Nate, take us to the Fog King. I feel like there's a song lyric in there somewhere. Take me to the Fog King. Yeah. Ah, uh, da da da. Fog on the water. Did, I did not take notes. I didn't take notes on this section. What the fuck? Uh, yeah. So the end of my notes are: town is defended. We have the good ether. We put it in a sword. Sword fires out blue flames from exhaust pipes, fitting the hot rod red the Monado has always sported. They're confident this will do the trick. That is the last note I took. What the fuck is wrong with me? 
Let's shut this down, eh? Yeah. <clears throat> Shingu! 